But we are continuing our journey here through the Gospel of John. And just to kind of, again, again, we did some kind of recap last week. But just to set the picture of where we're at, we are in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus has been preparing his disciples for what's about to take place. And as we have said over and over again, the disciples are like us from time to time. They're clueless. You guys ever feel clueless from time to time? And, and really, when you look at the Gospels, all four Gospels, and you see the interaction between Jesus and the, the disciples, it really, it's like, that is just such a great picture of who we are, especially Peter. Look at Peter's life and just the way in which he responded to situations. I can see myself a lot in the, uh, the Apostle Peter. But, um, so they, they really don't understand what's going on. And so last week, he, we covered the section in the beginning of John chapter 16, one, verses 1 through 15. We covered this section about the work of the, of the Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's really just two or three hours away from the Garden of Gethsemane, from being arrested. And so he's trying to get them to understand and to prepare them for the drama that they're about to experience, to prepare them for the sorrow that they're about to experience from just the confusion that's coming. And so he tells them, as we covered last time, as we covered last week, that, that I'm going away. And they have not understood what that meant, but he's saying, if I don't go away, the helper cannot come. If I don't go away, the, the, the comforter cannot come. And he even told them, as we looked at last week, that it's advantageous, it is important, it is necessary for me to go away. Because if I don't, then the helper won't come. And so, again, they don't know, they don't understand yet, but they will. They will understand, and he promised, what did he promise would happen when the Holy Spirit would come? What would the Holy Spirit do for them after he would ascend into heaven? Bring to remembrance. And that's key. It's because, have you ever been through a traumatic experience in your life? And when you're in the middle of the traumatic experience, you forget everything. You just, you're in the middle of the drama and you're overcome with sorrow. You're overcome with just the emotions of that moment. And, and then you get to the other side of it. And then, then you can start to remember and start to think about the details. And the Lord can, can speak to you through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Spirit, to remind you of what's good, what's right, what's true, what you know is true, what God's Word says. And I believe that that's what Jesus was telling them as we looked at last week. The Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to remind you of all the things that I said. And then Jesus ends with the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says that he is going to go. He, he, he ascends and he says, he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them everything that I have taught you. Teaching them to observe all that I've taught you. And it was the Holy Spirit that was going to remind them of what he taught them. And so again, this is the picture. This is the setting. And we're continuing this conversation. And when we get to the end of chapter 16, it's going to end with a dramatic verse. In chapter, as, as we close chapter 16, the next time that we get together, but we're actually going to look at that verse at the end of this message. The very last verse in chapter 16, he, he, he ends his upper room discourse and then he prays. It says that he, lifted, he lifts his eyes, he lifts his eyes, he looks up and he begins to pray to the Father and chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer. It is the Lord's Prayer. It is the prayer of our Lord Jesus to the Father for the disciples then But ultimately, as it says in John chapter 17, he's praying for all of us who would come to faith through them. That's what Jesus prayed. So he's praying Jesus over 2,000 years ago in that prayer. In John chapter 17, he was praying for us. That is, I can't wait to get to that chapter. 
I'm making sure that I'm going to at least do the introduction to that chapter. And, whoever, and, and I'll, I'll let other people preach after I get a little bit of chapter 17. Um, but, uh, so this is where we're at. And we're going to continue on. There's some, some interesting things that are said here in this section. But I mentioned earlier about a traumatic experience. Have, have you ever experienced something like that? A, a situation that forced out every other emotion in your life. And your heart was filled with sorrow. That sorrow, sorrow I should say, forced out every other emotion in your life because the experience was so difficult. Anybody ever experienced that? That all you can feel is sorrow. All you can feel is pain because the emotions of the moment, the sorrow, the pain, the devastation, it just completely fills everything that, 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 that you have, that you are, and, and, and all joy, all peace, everything else is forced out because of the sorrow. You've, got, you've experienced that? I think we, we all have experienced it from time to time, and we know that we will at some point in this life. If we, if we are blessed to live longer, we will experience sorrow. We're actually going to look at that, at that truth. But, but in that moment, it's like everything else, you, just, you can't see anything else. You can't see on the other side of the pain. You can't see on the other side of the, of, of, of the sorrow. And this is what Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples for. That they're going to experience this type of sorrow. They're not going to understand what is going on. He's trying to help them to understand it. And last week we, we, we did cover this scripture. It's John sixteen six, And listen to what Jesus says. He, says. he says, but because I have said these things to you. What things? As we've been talking about. That he's leaving. That he's going away. That he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. He's going to the Father. But because I've said these things. Sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled your heart. And the word filled translates to give the picture of squeezing out every other emotion. Sorrow has forced out every other emotion. And Jesus is trying to prepare them for that type of experience. Trying to prepare them as to how to deal with that type of emotion, that type of sorrow. Sorrow was all the disciples were feeling as Jesus was continuing to talk about leaving and death. And that emotion of sorrow was only going to increase as the hours move closer to Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion. The joy, the joy, not happiness. Happiness can be temporary, but a joy, a settled satisfaction, a settled peace, a settledness in your heart. That joy, the joy that they had in Christ and the relationship with Christ was going was to be, begin to be forced out of their hearts concerning the future that they thought Jesus had. Because they believed he was going to be an earthly Messiah, an earthly king, not an eternal one, not one that was going to go to heaven, not one that was going to die. That was not a part of their plan. And we see that throughout the Gospels. And this sorrow was going to overwhelm them. So here's, here's what we want to look at. What can we learn about our own sorrow and joy as we look closer at the disciples as they are facing great sorrow and a loss of joy? So this is what we're going to do. Instead of me just reading the whole section that we're going to cover, and then going back and reading it again and breaking it down. We're just going to, I'm going to go point by point and break down each section. So let's look. This is the first thing that we can learn. The first thing that we see is that the Lord knows and is compassionate. The Lord knows. So what can we learn about our own sorrow? And what do we learn as we look at the disciples' sorrow and their grief and their misunderstanding and the pain and, and what they're experiencing? What we can know is, is that the Lord knows. And is compassionate. That is, isn't, that, that is so important for us to understand when we experience sorrow. 
We will experience sorrow. Some of you right now, you're experiencing sorrow. It's the Christmas season. Maybe you're, you're, you're remembering uh, um, a, a loved one that's not here. And there's a sorrow, a settled sorrow in your heart. Well, you need to understand that the Lord knows and is compassionate. Let's, let's look at the text. John 16, 16 through 19, it says this. He's continuing his conversation. A little while, and you'll see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? It's a little confusing. A little while, you will see me no longer. And again, you'll see me again. I'll be back. What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So there's kind of two interpretations of that section. Some people would say that it's he's saying that, uh, that in a little while, he's going to be crucified and dead, and in a little while, he's going to be resurrected. And I believe it could mean that. And some say it means that in a, in a little while, he's going to ascend, and in a little while, he's going to return, the second coming. I tend to not believe that it's the second view, because it really was not a little while for the second return. He's not, he has not returned yet. I, I tend to believe that it's kind of a picture of, it's a picture of, in a little while I'm gone, and your heart's going to be filled with sorrow. But in a little while, you'll see me again, and that's what happened. After the resurrection, he revealed himself. After the resurrection, he walked through the door. He walked through the door and said, hello, here I am. Thomas, look at, look, look at my hands. Look at my side. He revealed himself to them. So, so they're just wondering, what is he talking about? And, 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 and then it says here, and, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they, they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Again, that's what we've been saying over, over and over again. They don't know what he's talking about. Listen to this, verse 19. This is so profound. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. He knew that they wanted to ask him. He knew that they were confused. He knew their thoughts. He knew what was going on on the inside of their heart. He knew the confusion. He knew the worry. He knew, he knew all of the frustration, all the sorrow, all the pain that they were beginning to feel, feel build up. And he knew what they were gonna, going to experience after he was going to be arrested and beaten and crucified and buried. They, he knew. He knew. He knew. Jesus knows. He's omniscient. He knows Everything about us. He knows, every, he knows everything about his disciples there. And he knows everything about us as his disciples. He's not at a loss as to what you're going through. He's not at a loss at any moment. Hear me. The Lord Jesus is not at a loss at any moment with what we experience. Is that not comforting? That's comforting to know that we're not alone. That he knows. But it's not just that he knows, but he's compassionate. He's compassionate to, towards us. So he said to them, is this what you are asking? Is this what you are asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while, you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. So he's going to continue to dialogue with them about this. But when we are going through sorrow and pain, it can feel like God doesn't see. Have you ever experienced that? It can feel like God doesn't know. God, God, it doesn't feel like you see what I'm going through. It doesn't feel like you understand because I feel like I'm alone. You feel like you're all alone in your struggle. Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples for that kind of experience. Think about it for a second. They've spent th- three years, they spent over th- two years or, or so, over two years with Jesus, three and a half years, excuse me, with Jesus in ministry, and, 
and they have seen miracles. They've seen the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen the raising of Lazarus from the dead. No man had, had raised a dead man. Jesus raised a dead man. They'd seen just his words. No man spoke like Jesus. He spoke with an authority. He spoke with a compassion. And they had seen all of this. And now they're experiencing things that, 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 that just don't make any sense. And Jesus is, is compassionate towards them. And they are confused. They don't understand. And he's sympathetic towards that frame of mind. He's sympathetic towards that, 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 that experience that they're having. And you know what's interesting is that he's more concerned about them. He's more concerned about what they're experiencing than he is about what he's about to experience. He is about to experience the most agonizing pain that he will ever experience in his life. He is about to experience, he's about to not, not only experience the physical pain of crucifixion, which was the worst way to die for a human being, but he's about to experience what it feels like because of sin to be separated from his father. For that communion to be broken off. And, 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 and you, you remember when you go to the Garden of Gethsemane? When Jesus was agonizing, he's trying to get these disciples to pray with him. What did he say in the garden? He says, can you, can you tarry a little while? Pray with me. Pray, pray and seek the Lord. For, for, for trouble is coming. For there's, there, there, there's trouble coming and pray, pray, seek God. And what did, the, what did the, 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 the disciples do? Fell asleep. They fell asleep like I do. I fall asleep when I should be praying. Right? And but... So, so they're not compassionate. They're not thinking anything about Jesus and what he's about to experience. Because again, they don't understand and they don't know. So Jesus is concerned about them in the middle of what he's about to experience. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happened because of the pressure Jesus was feeling? He sweat drops of blood. I mean, Miss Diana, medical, medical professional here, sweating drops of blood... What, what would it take? What type, what type of pressure do you have to experience? Like a lot of pressure. You're going to be probably dead when you're sweating drops of blood, right? At the point of death, for sure, right? Do you have something to say to that? Yeah. And then, yeah, then they rupture. Yeah, so I mean, I, I just, we, we can't comprehend that. And he knows that's coming because Jesus knows everything. He's omniscient. He's God. He knew what he was saying yes to. He knew what he was saying yes to, to come to be God, Emmanuel. He knew he was born to die. And he's concerned about his disciples. Jesus is not like us. He knows our weaknesses and he is compassionate toward us in our pain and our sorrow. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. Like, like, he commissions us to pray, and we fall asleep on the job. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. He tarries. He waits. He prays to the Lord. If it's possible, remove this cup from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He perseveres. But in the midst of all of that, he's still concerned about his disciples. He knows, and he's compassionate. He knows and he's compassionate towards us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Kind of like Romans 12, 9. Hold fast to what is good. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable 
to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So who is our, who is our high priest that we're going to see him pray for us when we, we continue on in John, John 17? He is a compassionate high priest. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He understands. And that's the picture I see in John 16. He, he sees their weaknesses. He sees their misunderstanding. And he's telling them, listen, I'm going to be gone for a little while. But then you're going to see me. The comforter's going to come. And you're going to be filled with sorrow. But joy will return. Joy will come again. Jesus understands our sorrows because he is a man that is acquainted with sorrow and grief. That's what Isaiah 53 says, 1 through 3. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground. He had no former majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. And he was what? A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We can know that the reason that we have hope and the reason we can have joy, reason we can have peace in the middle of our sorrow, when the sorrow has pushed out all of the joy and all of the peace, if we will cling to Christ, we can have peace and joy because he was a man that was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And because of that, he is our high priest who, who, who understands, he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Isn't that encouraging? To know that we, have a, we, we don't serve a God who's just a distant God who doesn't care about our earthly experiences. That we serve a God that is still in control. That he is, he is working in the midst of the struggle. Working in the midst of the pain. Working in the midst of the confusion that life brings. The sorrow that life brings. He's with us. He knows us. He knows us. He sees us. And he's compassionate. He knows it. It'd be one thing to... To say and to acknowledge that he knows and he sees because he's God, but he's compassionate. He's compassionate. He loves us as his children. Psalms 139 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. I love this. And are acquainted with all my ways. I love that. That's so good. The Lord's acquainted with all of our ways. He knows us more than we know ourselves. Isn't that true? Why does he know us more than we know ourselves? Because he's, he made us. He's our creator. Just like you take anybody, take an inventor, a creator of something. They know it more than anybody else. They know it. And that's why they create the instruction manual. That's why we should read instruction manuals. That's why when something breaks, you go to the manual. You go to the creator. You see, what was in your mind? And you, then you can fix it. And our, what's our instruction manual? Where, where do we learn that we were created? We don't learn. I can learn it from high school because they, they, they don't want to talk about this. Kids aren't going to learn it from school. They're going to learn it from parents who teach them. They're going to learn it from churches who teach what the Bible says. That we're not the result of a cosmic accident. We're the result of, a, of, of an intentional God who created us for purpose. Create us on purpose, for purpose. Amen? He knows. He's acquainted with all of our ways. Even before a word is on my tongue. <laughs> well, man, 
That is powerful here. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. What does that mean? It means he knows my thoughts. Even before, before it goes from my brain, and you know, that's pretty fast, the brain to the tongue. I mean, I'm, I'm doing that right now. That's pretty fast. That's like rapid fire, speed of light, brain, tongue, brain, tongue. He knows it before it reaches my tongue. I can't figure that one out. <laughs> that's beyond my, that's higher than my pay grade. Only God can understand that one. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. And it would be great if the Lord could just put like a, like a buffer there, right? Like just a little filter, a Holy Spirit filter that would help us. I, I need lots of help in that area because I talk a lot. I talk a lot. I got to get up here and talk. And sometimes I say things I shouldn't say. So I, I, I live a life of uh, repentance and apologies. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before. I love this. You hem me. He's, he's, he's in front of us. He's behind us. You lay your hand upon me. <laughs> That's so good. I love it. He's everywhere. Mm. And, and again, the next verse really says it all. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Too wonderful for me. It is, it is high. I cannot attain it. How is it that the Lord knows my, my, my words before it even reaches my tongue? How is it that he's before me and behind me and his hand is upon me? How is it that he's acquainted with all of my ways? Such knowledge is just too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Listen to this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, behold, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning... And dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely, this is a picture of sorrow right here. If I say, surely, the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me is night. Listen to this. This is, this is really a picture of depression right here. I want to read this again. This is a picture of somebody that is depressed. There's no hope. They feel no hope. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light, what's good is really bad. What's good, what, where, where there's light is really night. That's when you feel like there's no hope. Darkness, sorrow, grief, pain, that's all you see. Listen to what it says there. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The darkness cannot, cannot Snuff out the light. The darkness cannot cover out the light. Even in your darkest moment, even in your darkest pain, your darkest position of of despair and discouragement, even there, the darkness cannot quench the light of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. In our sorrow. And listen, listen, these disciples were going to experience that. What what, what, What did Peter do? After Jesus, after he, after Jesus had been crucified and, 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 and he had denied the Lord three times, what did he do? He looked at the other disciples and he said, I'm going back. I'm going back fishing. You guys want to come? I'm just going to go back. I'm going to go back to what we knew. Go back to what we used to do. And what, 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 what happened? I, lo- I love it. I love it. Jesus came out on the water. He came to the shore. He had fish, he had bread. He brought, rest, brought restoration. But there was some depression. There was deep darkness. But we need to understand in our sorrow and joy, and we learn this, Jesus is preparing them for that. 
He's going to bring restoration. But we need to be reminded that in the middle of all of our sorrow, when we have no joy, we have no peace, and the sorrow has forced out all of what is good and true and right in our life, we need to be reminded that the Lord knows and he's compassionate. He's compassionate. You can cry out to him. Here's the second thing that we see in this text. Second thing is that earthly sorrow and pain is only temporary. We, he knows, he's compassionate, but he also knows and understands. And we need to be reminded that earthly sorrow is temporary. Listen, and Jesus, he's, he paints this picture here. This is a really neat picture that he paints here. So he's letting them know, I'm leaving, but I'm coming back. You don't understand it. You're questioning. You're already feeling sorrowful. You're confused, and it's going to get worse. And here's my answer. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. He's letting them know you're going to weep and lament. But the world will, will rejoice. They're going to rejoice at the death of Jesus. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into what? To joy. It's temporary. You're going to weep. You're going to lament. You're going to have sorrow. But it will turn into joy. Earthly sorrow and pain is only temporary. And listen, and he, so he gives this picture. He gives this example. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Ladies, is that true? Is that true? Oh, yes. Mr. Cole said, oh, yes. Amen. It's true. Sorrow has come. For us men, it's great joy. And we, we plead for mercy for our wives. But that was such a great, I mean, it's nothing but joy for me. I mean, so I, I, can, I just can, I can see. And I, at just the moment my, my children were born, one of the great joys in my life, we actually were talking about that just last night or the day before. Just, I actually were talking about on our, on our anniversary date uh, in Baton Rouge. At Superior Grill. It's just a really great Mexican restaurant there. We're talking about, was that Superior Grill? I don't know where it was, but it was on the trip. I'm second guessing where that was at, but we had the conversation. What were the highlights of 15 years? And um, that's what Estelle said. She said, I can still picture your face when Joel was born. She said, you were just giddy. So, so but right before I was giddy, Estelle was not giddy. Because the text says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. The labor is there. But when she has delivered the baby, did you forget it? Did you forget the pain? Why? Because you no longer remember the anguish. Why? For joy that a human being has been born into the world. You know, if women didn't forget the pain, population would be over. So scripture is true. God's not a liar. Scripture is true. We're all here as a result of that reality. Is that, is that yeah, it's painful. And, and I can never relate, ladies, because I've never experienced it. But you forget. The Lord gives you amnesia. And you're re- re- reminded of the joy. The moment you see that precious life, the pain was worth it. And isn't that an interesting picture that Jesus is telling his, a group of men, and that's what, I, that's what struck me as I was reading this. He's telling this to men, a group of fishermen and, 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 tax, and a tax collector. He, he's telling these men, some of these guys are rough men. He's telling them, you're going to be sorrowful, but joy is coming. And you, and you know what it's like? Even though I know none of you have experienced it, it's like a lady giving birth. It's very painful. 
but joy comes. But joy comes. Earthly sorrow and pain is only temporary. We see that in Psalms 31 through 5. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have set and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you've healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but what, what happens? Joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. And, and that's what we need to be reminded. And, and how many of you, when you've been in those moments of sorrow and great pain, and that, those emotions of pain force out all the other good emotions and feelings in your life, it feels like, when is it going to end? When will it be over? And these disciples are going to experience that. When is it going to end? When is it, it going to be over, Lord? We need relief. Where are you, Lord? The psalmist David, it's, it's what you hear in the, the language of the psalmist David throughout the psalms. Why, God? Why, God? Why me? Why is this happening? Kill my enemies. <laughs> I need justice. He's fleeing for his life from Saul. But it's, it's momentary. It's fleeting. There is a season for everything under heaven. Solomon, who asked for wisdom, he speaks to us about that. Ecclesiastes 3, for everything there is a season, for everything. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep. A time to laugh. You know, mourning is it's a time for it, a time to mourn. And then after, it's time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear. A time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. It's a season. Our earthly sorrow and pain will not last forever. And that's what Jesus is trying to get them to see vividly with this example. He wants them to understand. He's trying to prepare them. It's coming. It's coming. You will experience it, but understand it's temporary. And so that's what we can learn. We can understand. Maybe we're in it right now. Be encouraged. It's temporary. Cling to what is good. Cling to what is true. Cling to what is right. Don't allow that sorrow, that grief, and that pain to just force out all that you know is true about your Lord, about your Savior, that he knows, that he's good, that he's compassionate, that he sees. Cling to him. Because it's temporary. Second Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. And earlier in Second Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about the persecutions. He's talking about the pain. He's talking about the rejection, the beatings, the sufferings. And he says this, but we do not lose heart. Why? We would, you would think we need to lose heart. Why? Though our outer self is wasting away. We're dying. The moment after the sorrow. This is kind of a discouraging thought. The moment after a baby is born is the moment that baby begins to die. Our outer self is wasting away. Our first breath is the beginning of our journey to our last breath. But we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. As believers in Christ, our inner self is being renewed day by day, though this outer shell is wasting away. I love the language here. 
for this light. Apostle Paul had reason to say that his affliction was not light. He had reason to say that he had great affliction. But what does he call it? He calls it light and then he says what? Momentary. Momentary. That's what, again, that's what we think in the middle of the affliction, in the middle of the sorrow, in the middle of the pain. It doesn't feel light and it certainly doesn't feel momentary. It feels like, when will it end, Lord? These disciples are going to experience that and we as disciples, we experience it. For this light, momentary affliction, what is it doing? It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that's the higher perspective. That's the greater perspective. That's what will keep us from despair in the middle of our suffering. That's what will keep us from throwing up our hands and just giving up and blaming God and blaming everyone else. It's that reality that this is temporary. This life is temporary. And as believers, we are only, what? Passing through. We're passing through. This is just a moment in time, a blip on the radar. That's why the Apostle Paul can say that. It's temporary. We're transient. It's not, it's not forever. And God is working in us a great eternal weight of glory. And one day when we stand before the Lord in all of his glory, there won't be a moment of time that we're going to think, oh, why God? Why did I go through that? Why did I experience that? He'll, what's going to happen? He's going to wipe away all the tears, all the regret of the painful choices that you've made. You know, a lot of the pain we go through is because of our poor choices. That's so true. We are frail. We are weak. And we make bad choices. But thanks be to God that one day when we stand before the Lord and we are clothed not in our own righteousness, but we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And that is the ground of our testimony. That is the ground of our righteousness, is his righteousness. We will stand before him and and we'll have a memory for a moment of all of the things that we should have done, should not have done. And he will wipe away all of those tears. And we will remember them no more. And for eternity, we will spend with him, rejoicing in the glory of who he is. Amen? That's why we do not lose heart. Because all these things are working together to prepare for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen? Third thing we see is this, is that earthly sorrow and pain, though it is temporary, it will try again to squeeze out our joy. You're going to get round two, round three, round four, (laughs) round 50 in your life. You live long enough, you live long enough, I was reading this week that Joshua, uh, excuse me, Joseph lived to be 110 years old. 17, thrown into the pit. 47, I believe, 30 years. 47, second in command of all of Egypt. And then, excuse me, then 110, he dies. So you think about his light momentary afflictions that he experienced. So, he, he had a lot of rounds of struggle. So, so, so listen to what it says here in John 16. I just love this picture here. 
so also you, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. What's he saying? What's he saying there? It's kind of some confusing language. He's saying that up to this point, you have just asked of me. You have never asked for something in my name because I'm with you. That's what it says there. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again. In that day, you will ask nothing of me because they have asked things of him. Do you remember when the disciples asked of him with their mother? Hey, can you sit on the right? Can I sit on the left? Can I be an authority in your kingdom? Didn't ask great things of him all the time, but they were asking of him. There's a change here because he knows where he's going. He's going to the Father. He will be seated at the right hand of his Father, making intercession for the saints. We'll see a picture of that, a preview of that in John 17. So there's a switch. I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name. Why can, you, why can we ask now of the Father in the name of Jesus? Because the authority is in his name. Why? Because he's resurrected. Because he defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's the victorious Savior. So now we can come and ask of the Father in my name. And then he says this, ask. Speaking of the future, of what they will be able to do, so it's a picture of what we can do, ask and you will receive that, this is so good, that your joy may be full. I just love this picture. He's been talking all along, sorrow, 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 sorrow's coming, sorrow's coming. Oh, by the way, it's coming, but it'll be temporary, but but it's going to come again, but I'm preparing something for you. I'm setting, I'm setting something up for you. All of this that's going on, all that I'm headed to, the pain, the suffering, the going away, the rejection, the crucifixion, the death, I'm coming back, but I'm going away. It's all so that you can ask and have joy that will be full. Why? Because earthly sorrow and pain will try again to squeeze out all of your joy. Isn't that good? You guys, get, you guys see that? That is so good. Like, like this is, you, you see, he's, he's prepared it all for them right there. And, and I realize as you read through that, I, as I read through it, they do, we do need the Holy Spirit to explain that to us. Because <laughs> that is confusing. That whole train of thought there. They needed the Holy Spirit. And we needed as much as they did. We need him to explain that to us over and over again. To remind us in the middle of our sorrow, in the middle of our pain, to remind us that God knows, that he sees, he's compassionate, that it's only temporary. Everything is transient. We're we're, we're, we're passing through. Eternity is what matters most. And we need to be reminded that we can come back to God over and over and over again. Come back to our Father, our merciful Father, and we can do it in the name of God. Jesus. Jesus was providing access to continued joy available from the Father for those who would call on his name. Through relationship with Jesus, we have access to the resources of heaven that will cause our joy to be full. Jesus is telling the first disciples, and he's telling us through them, as we read the Gospel of John, that through 
his name, the name of Jesus, we can call on the Father in the middle of sorrow and pain and that we can have full joy no matter the circumstances. Amen? Jesus' last words in this upper room conversation point to the reality that trials will come, but that in relationship with Christ, we can have peace. We can have peace. And after these last words, and we'll get to this next time, we're in John 16. After these last words, like before he prays, before he prays, he says these last things before he prays. And this is what we'll, we'll, we'll cover this section later, but let's just read it. John 16, before the high priestly prayer, I have said all of these things to you. Everything we've covered, this uproom discourse, 13, 14, 15, 16. This is the end of 16. Before he prays, I've said these things to you that in who? In me, you may have peace. In the world, you will. It's coming again. It's coming again. It's coming again. Tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know. Do you know? If you know, please tell me. I would like to know. September 11th, 2001. The people in those towers didn't know what was coming. The world didn't know. There's some people that, that knew, but, we, but, but it was the ones that were doing it that knew. We don't know what's coming. It's come, but we know it's coming again. Pain's coming. Trials come because we're in the world. We're in a fallen world. We're in a world that is under the sway of the evil one. Satan is the God, lowercase God of this world. And he's influencing people for evil. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. Have courage. Don't let the sorrow, don't let the sorrow, listen to this, don't let the sorrow squeeze out all of your joy, all of your peace, and your contentment, and your rest. Take heart. Why? Because I have overcome the world. Take heart. Jesus has overcome so that we can overcome through him. Amen? Jesus has overcome so that we can overcome through him. Amen? I'm done. Amen? You guys want to Want to add? Anybody want to add something? Mm. Brother Barry, that'll preach. That is good. I love that. Yeah, and, and, and our enemies, who are our enemies? Obviously, Satan is our enemy. And he uses all his little minions, right? But the enemy, our, our enemy takes many different shapes, you know? Uh, trials and difficulties are, are our enemy. Sin and temptation, they're our enemy. But we can, we can sit at the, t- at, at the table in the presence of our enemies and we can be at peace. We can have provision. We can, we can eat of the good things of God's kingdom in the middle of trials, in the middle of our enemies, and just be oblivious. Amen? Anyone else want to add something? Sweetheart, you got anything? All right, we're, we're done then. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, I thank you for this truth, God. You're so good to us. Lord, I pray, um, as I think often, I think this often, uh, when, when, is, when is my time going to come? When, when, will, when will it be my time to live out the truths that I preach? When, 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 when will be my time to suffer? Because 
You promised. John 16, 33, in this world you will have tribulation. When will I have to cling to that scripture with all of my heart? Lord, I pray that when that time comes, that I will cling to you with all of my heart. That I will not allow the sorrow and the grief and the pain to force out all of the joy and the contentment that, I, that, that belongs to me in Christ. God, I pray that I would be reminded during that time. Remind us all during those times. Maybe somebody here tonight. Remind someone tonight that it's temporary, that it's transient, that it doesn't last forever, and that it's working an eternal way to glory in them. Remind us of that truth. Help us to cling to what is good, what is true, what is right. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.